Welcome to the Social Read Podcast. I'm your host, Missy. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we mixed it up a little bit, and we um, had our Hubbard Digital Academy, which was a super fun event. Um, our fifth Hubbard Digital fifth Academy. Fifth Hubbard Digital Academy sold out. And we had a ton of great people that showed up. And in this panel, one of our lunch panels that we did was titled How to Show the Real ROI on Digital Marketing. And Steve Goldstein was our moderator. And we met with um, Sarah Johnson, who is on the marketing team from All of America. Felicia Johnson, who is on the marketing team for the Minnesota Vikings. Kristen, oh, I'm hoping I'm saying her, her name right again. Um, Kristen Pekachik um, for Anytime Fitness. And then we also had Brad Boldenow for um, Lando Lakes. And they talked all about and dove into ROI and how to show that with digital marketing. Yeah, we thought it was great. And so we wanted to share it with you. This is the entire lunch session from our Hubbard Digital Academy. So let's get into this week's episode number 90, how to show the real ROI on digital marketing. This episode is sponsored by Popcorn. Throwing a party and looking for a unique and delicious tasty treat? Weddings, company parties, corporate thank you gifts, whatever the occasion, Popcorn has a perfect compliment to your event. Over 70 flavors to choose from. Call or go online to order. PopcornMN.com. Welcome. My name is Steve. My sleep number is 30. Right, that, that joke only worked for the people who saw my last presentation. Um, I'm excited to be hosting a panel discussion on ROI. You've been sitting through sessions on marketing. ROI is arguably the most important topic that we could bring up today. And we are really lucky to have a panel that's very diverse with different products, services, categories, ways of measurement. Um, so I'm really excited to be, to be hosting this. And I want to introduce the panel here. Uh, and forgive me for reading from the piece of paper here. On the end here, we have Sarah Johnson from the Mall of America. Sarah, welcome. Sarah's the Integrated Marketing Manager at the Mall of America, and she assists in developing and executing integrated marketing strategies at a local, regional, and national scale. And uh, that's where I stole my picture of the Peloton, uh, what is it, the glass house inside there, the little kiosk. It's a, far from a kiosk. Beautiful, beautiful mall. Uh, next is Kristen Pahachik. Did you do that okay? Yes. Kristen is the digital marketing director at Self Esteem Brands home of Entrepreneur's Top Global Franchise Anytime Fitness and Promising Newcomers Waxing the City and Basecamp Fitness. Welcome and thank you for being on the panel today. Next is Felicia Johnson from our hometown Minnesota Vikings. I thought I'd get more than that. No skull cheers, anything like that. Yes, I'm from DC, I don't like the Redskins so I'm not offended. Felicia's in her third season as the social media manager for the Minnesota Vikings, she helps oversee paid social media, assists with channel strategy, and helps create content for Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, and Vikings.com. Welcome, Felicia. Happy to have you here. Thank you. Last but not least, Brad Boldeno. Brad is a data analyst for Land Lakes. He works alongside digital marketers and communicators, helping interpret digital data to assist in creating memorable experiences for Land Lakes audiences. So welcome. Glad you're here. Okay, we're gonna dive into the, the meat of it like you're diving into your sandwiches there. ROI, one of the hottest topics, not just in digital marketing, but in all of digital marketing. And I'd like to um, have each member of the panel talk about what are the first steps you take towards setting up an ROI model. And Sarah, let's, let's start with you. Sure, so can everyone hear me? 
can't tell. No? Can you hear me now? Okay. So similar to any campaign, we start with our models similar to just sitting down and setting our goals. So what is that? What are we trying to achieve and what does good look like? So we start there and then we go from there and understanding what the infrastructure is in place is supporting the measuring. So for the mall, for example, we like to tra measure traffic, like foot traffic. That's what we typically look at. So we really look at when it comes to a campaign and setting up the um, ROI breakdown, what are we trying to attain there? And then we implement, test, optimize, and then repeat. So that's what our attribution model looks like, and that's what we really like to look for. Thank you. Kristen? Yeah, so to add on that, what I find to be really helpful when organizing like what your KPI should be right so that you can calculate your return on investment is to set it up kind of similar to like a, a marketing funnel in that at the top of your business goal, you cannot run a digital marketing campaign and report on it successfully if you don't know what the business is trying to do. So maybe your business goal is to increase profitability at the unit level by 5%. Business goal, right? Then you have a marketing goal. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's increasing the frequency of your current customers and then acquiring new customers. Marketing goal. Digital marketing goal. That is around CPA of new customers and LTV of your reoccurring customers. By setting up and aligning to the business, you're going to have leadership buy-in. You're going to be able to go back to them and say, this is how I'm moving the business forward. For those who aren't familiar with the, the term LTV, could you talk about what LTV is? Yeah, lifetime value. So it's basically the value attributed to each one of your customers. How much money are they spending with you over the lifetime of their visit? Why is that important? That is important because that is how you're going to get a return on investment. So you need to understand your lifetime value because, especially if you're in the retail space, somebody can come to you one time, purchase something for $30, and you would only be calculating a return on investment from that acquiring customer of $30 um, worth. And what you might not be capturing is they might be coming back to you on a reoccurring um, frequency, right? And so you're going to want to capture that entire frequency in your return on investment. There may be times where you spend $50 to get somebody in your location to spend $30. That's not a good return on investment. But what you might not know is that person has an average lifetime length with you of 19 months and spends $700 with you over those 19 months, and all of that lifetime value should be incorporated in your return on investment calculation. Thank you. Felicia, what are your first steps towards setting up an ROI model? So it's a little bit different for a football team because we're not a traditional brand where we're doing a ton of push messaging. A lot of people come to our channels seeking out things that they can either buy or read or a video that they can watch. So for us, when we're measuring return on investment, it, we take into consideration a few things. There's the dollar amount that we put into something and then there's the effort in which it takes our staff to complete something. So we talk about return on investment and then we're starting to talk about return on effort too because one of our biggest resources is our time. And so we have to factor that in too. Um, when we measure return on investment from a team standpoint, it's different for everything we do on every different channel. So certain pieces of content are going to be more valuable than others, and then certain engagements that people take are also more valuable. So there's no one-size-fits-all solution to any return on investment model, but for us, we're a little bit fortunate that we don't have to do as much push, push messaging in our ROIs, usually a lot more efficient than um, some of the past brands that I've worked on. Thank you. Brad? Yeah, so as, as have, has been mentioned, you always have to start with the needs of the business. So identifying what are the objectives that you're trying to achieve and what, what does that mean for the business as a whole, and then ensuring that your ROI models that you build support those things. Um, from my perspective, something a little bit different I can add is I spend a lot of time in the data. 
And it's extremely important to ensure that the data you have is all encompassing of your marketing and digital activities because the ROI models that you build can really only be as useful as the data and the information that you put in. So again, ensuring that the information that you have that you use to determine what your ROI is is an extremely important place to start with to ensure that the results you get are meaningful and can really drive strategic action. So what we're hearing is, is the first step overwhelmingly is you have to have goals, right? Think, begin with the end in mind is, is what we're hearing. And then a way of measuring those goals would be, would be conversion. So let's talk a little bit about uh, conversion. So Felicia, we, we talked about that yours is to drive content engagement or selling tickets for the tertiary events, not the, not the main events since, since you're sold out. Um, fundraisers, training camp, that sort of thing. Sarah, you mentioned foot traffic, of, of course, um, being a mall. For Kristen, a new fitness member or, or a new waxing client, so you've got that, that customer acquisition. And you know, Brad, you also you mentioned it's a sale in the macro sense, but you also track a host of, of micro conversions. So we'll start with, with you this time. Each of these is so very different, and so I, I, this is why I'm so excited to have such a diverse panel, because measuring, you can set your goals up, but measuring them is so different. So it'll be very interesting to hear um, how each one measures conversion. So Brad, let's, let's start with you and how you, how you set the outcomes. How do you measure it? Yeah, absolutely. So to Land Lakes as a whole, to the business, a conversion is a thing such as a, a purchase of a tub of butter or a purchase of a bag of animal feed or one of our many other offerings. But especially from the digital perspective, it's not always feasible and it doesn't always make sense to to benchmark your digital performance on these types of conversions. Um, and one main reason for that is that the digital landscape is, is built to assist our consumers through the entire customer journey as a whole. And although the sale is a major component of this entire journey, it still is only one single component. And so to gauge the performance of our marketing activities throughout this entire journey, we use what are more considered to be digital conversions. And these digital conversions could be things such as where to buy searches on our website or recipe page views. Um, and, and these are the, the more granular level conversions that we track on our website that we use to, to optimize our marketing content um, from a more granular level. Um, and, and in terms of actually tracking and measuring these, these things on our website, we, we use last touch channel attribution modeling, which is basically looking at the last marketing touch point that our, our customers had before they made that conversion. And again, those are the things that we kind of use to, from the ground up, optimize our marketing material and determine other things that are, are being successful in driving the outcomes that we want to achieve. So as it relates to the Vikings, as Steve mentioned, I primarily oversee our paid social advertising content that goes out on a daily and weekly basis. So conversions for us really comes down to how many people clicked on a link and bought a ticket to an event that we're hosting, or how many people clicked a link and purchased a shirt. And so one thing that we really wanted to make sure we did was set up tracking codes both on Facebook and our website to make sure that we could actually say how many of those purchases came from a social media post. And that's super important because if you're just me measuring link tracking, traffic through your analytics platform on your website or wherever you're driving people, you might not know how many were attributed specifically to the efforts of your social accounts. So that was a huge win for us in terms of just figuring out how much cost per acquisition or cost per sales actually were coming from social media. And then we can take that number and measure it against banner ads at email marketing and say, okay, was this more efficient or less efficient than other things that we were doing? And then based on that information, we can kind of shift our marketing strategy moving forward. So for us, return on or conversion rates are really important on social media when it comes to tracking ticket sales or merchandise sales, which I'm sure is very similar for a lot of you guys in terms of product sales or things that you're pushing out. Kristen, how about for Anytime Fitness? 
Yes, okay, um, attribution. <laughs> it's like single-handedly the worst thing that a digital marketer has to deal with because nobody has this figured out. So no, like nobody sitting in this room has attribution truly figured out. And partially because we're dumping so much money into Facebook and Instagram and they're holding their cards so close to their chest as to view through and click through attribution data, they don't play nice with Google or with other DSPs. And so you can't see that full customer journey and how many sources it takes to make the purchase decision actually happen. You remember that like um, if you were in the customer journey section, this is not a linear thing. This is tons of different sources. There are over 10 um, sources that help somebody make a purchase decision today. And you need to encompass that entire journey because if you don't, Facebook, Instagram, search, they win every time because you're using a CPL, cost per lead, or cost per acquisition to assess the successful um, components of your campaign and then display, CTV, connected TV, streaming, um, other digital audio, those types of advertising, they get pushed out because they won't give you as low of a CPA as Facebook or Instagram will. So one of the things that I'm really trying to get our team towards, and we're not there yet, it's hard, is to do a last click conversion metric, right? Somebody who converts right at that last click, but then to also report on an assisted conversions metric. The problem with Facebook is it operates off of a 21-day attribution window. So you're double counting a lot of those conversions. You can have a digital campaign, it produces 20,000 leads, chances are 30% of those are double counted, which means you have to link track, which we do um, sometimes, pay extra to have our um, advertising tracked so that we aren't double counting, or place through a single DSP like the Droid Desk in order to make sure that you're encompassing your entire customer journey, and it's a struggle. There's no great way to do this right now. So Sarah, you're you know, very different to Mall. Yes, so mine is drastically a little bit different. So first and foremost, I would like to say that we're measuring foot traffic. So a lot of our campaigns are based from a brand awareness standpoint, and we have a very robust marketing strategy and mix. So we look at print and TV and a lot of traditional facets, but we also integrate that in with more of a digital perspective too. So over the years, the mall's been around for 27th or 27th this year. So we're really trying to transition and mold the both together. So we don't want to completely ditch our traditional partners, but we really want to find a way that we can integrate them together with the today's modern times as well. So first and foremost, I'm going to say MOA we look at as a separate entity. So we look at that as a foot traffic standpoint. Ultimately, we are a hub for our tenants. And then we look at Nickelodeon Universe. Nickelodeon Universe, I think, is commonly missed, I guess, to an extent. So the mall does own Nickelodeon Universe, and we do track ticket sales there. So that we look at them at two separate entities, but we bring them together. So we advertise from a Mall of America standpoint that's very general, and then we look at Nickelodeon as a separate entity. So Nickelodeon, for example, I would say like summer. Summer's a big campaign for us. Kids are out of school. We're really trying to push them to the mall. So we look at that from a very large channel mix. So again, from traditional facets, but also from social media, from display. We work with a variety of partners outside of our hub, but also within. So we not only advertise locally, nationally, regionally, or I'm sorry, locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally as well. So our we cover a lot of bases and we try our best and we look at it from the perspective too of you know the attribution model as best we can, um, but that pertains more to Nickelodeon and then we use MOA as very general basis. I attended a Google sense. conference a couple of months ago and uh, even at Google they say perfect attribution doesn't exist. Ag agree or disagree? This would be like American mm -hmm. Idol, they're in or not. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's 
Attribution is so custom to your unique business and even your unique customer journey. So as I mentioned earlier, we use last touch attribution modeling just looking at the last marketing touch point that a consumer had before they made a digital conversion on our website. And we're, we're fully aware that there are far more complex attribution models that would allow us to get a better understanding of how different interactions with marketing materials and marketing platforms are at a more holistic level or are working together to drive those digital conversions. Um, and that's just something that we have to continuously work towards and continuously understand how we can implement, implement that in our business. But attribution modeling is a very complex world to dive into, but at the same time, a lot of opportunities in there, so you just gotta keep working at it and understanding how it can fit into your business. Felicia, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, if it was easy, we all probably wouldn't have jobs, so that's a good thing. And I think it's an ever-moving target, so once one company thinks they figured it out, another company's going to come into the mix and all, the whole landscape will change again. So you have to be comfortable knowing that it's not always going to be an easy, one-size-fits-all solution. There's going to be more tools and more companies trying to get into the mix, especially with you know data privacy concerns happening right now, I think. Not knowing is okay, so it's... I, yeah, echo all of that and the addition of GDPR and privacy. It's not getting easier, folks. It's going to get harder. Um, so our only hope is that there's somebody out there that can play nice with all of the different channels to provide us some sort of way to track the consumer journey. And I bet that just about that time, privacy and GDPR will come in and say, nope, can't do that. Sarah. I did all of them. I feel like I don't really have much to add. I mean, the landscape is always evolving and changing, and we're all just doing our best to keep up and to do you know, what we can for our organization. And yeah, hopefully, eventually, they can all play nice, but we'll see. Well, so then, Sarah, let's, let's move to this. What analytics platforms do you use? How, do you, what, how are you tracking uh, what's working for you in terms of the platforms? Uh, are you satisfied with it? Let's talk a little bit about uh, help, help the group if uh, they need to set up a, a model. Where would they start? Yeah, so we use Google Analytics, as I'm sure most of you do. That's our primary hub that we use to analyze how our campaigns are performing from a digital perspective specifically. Um, we also use Salesforce as well as an extra tool. Um, and then we also have an IT department that we utilize to track traffic. So we receive traffic reports from them um, on a daily basis so we can really see, you know, obviously weather plays a part into that to an extent, but are campaigns working or not and how can we continue to improve and, you know, push traffic to the mall. Kristen. Yes. Um, same. I, I mean, I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to this stuff. I love the data. So um, I don't really think that there's ever going to be a platform that beats the native platform that's pulling in the data. So I work alongside the agency to make sure that we have as much um, visibility into the actual data as possible and then use tools like Tableau or Domo to help visualize that data, identify trends, kind of pull it all together for the leadership team. We're also kind of on this HubSpot journey. There's some really cool attribution stuff within HubSpot that um, I hope we can get to, but in a franchise system of 4,000, getting any kind of consistency is close to impossible. How about you, Felicia? <clears throat> I'd echo what she said in terms of using the native platforms to pull analytics. We also have the luxury of having an entire analytics team at the Vikings, so I don't have to pretend like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to like the deep dives into the um, analysis, into the charts, and they, we use Tableau as well. But one thing that I like to use is Salesforce, like Sarah had mentioned. We work really closely with our digital team who manages all of our ad buys and email campaigns to make sure that social is not specifically living in a silo. So we build really custom targeted lists with all the databases that we have, and we 
we can send them either social messaging or email messaging based on what their user habits are, and then we can negative target to say, okay, if someone's seen this email, let's not send them a social post today, or if someone's seen the social post, we're not going to send them an ad on the, on the website. So we're getting smarter about it every day, but Salesforce is really critical in that, in that process. So that layer of sophistication is, is really important to make sure that, that you're, you're not the overkill and you're stretching your marketing dollars? Yeah, I mean, being able to send someone emails is a pretty intimate experience, right? Like you're right in the palm of someone's hand, you're in their living room, you're you know, in their kitchens with them. So we don't want to be too aggressive. So we're trying to be work smarter, not harder in terms of when we're meeting people and how we're meeting them and what time of day and how often. So again, that's a moving target and it's different in the off season than it is during you know, regular season when you're winning lots of games. Um, but Salesforce has been super critical in helping us figure out what that journey is. Do you know, I just want to stay on that because it's a fascinating topic and I think email marketing is probably, probably pretty big for the crowd. If you're able to share it, is there a number in terms of emails of, of, of not being in their inbox too, many, too much? Is there, is there something that you follow? If you're helpful and you're meeting people when they need something, I wouldn't stick a number against it. I think content for the sake of content is not good. I think meeting quotas is a really scary place to be. If you feel like you have to send out three things a week, you might want to take a hard look at that. Volume doesn't necessarily equate to impressions and sales, and unsubscribe rates on email are going to be very telling as to whether or not your emails are effective. Um, so I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. Again, it's different when you're a sports team versus a CPG brand, those messages are going to be a little bit different. But what we found super helpful in terms of open rates and engagement is focusing on more content than just marketing messaging. So it doesn't always have to be buy this ticket, look at this video. It can just be something really interesting that comes through in an email that's informative and helpful. People don't always have to take a direct action in an email to find it valuable. So nobody, nobody responded, send it again is not a good strategy? Probably not. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, yeah, correct? Um, in terms of the tools, one unique tool that Land Lakes is currently using is a tool called Datarama. And this is sort of an analytics platform that's really geared toward digital, um, digital marketing where it allows for the, the business to pull in data from its different channels and platforms, whether that be paid search, display, or paid social, and have the ability to paint a really cohesive and robust picture of how your marketing efforts are working across your platforms to drive those objectives that you set out to do. Um, one additional thing with that is using uh, a more simple attribution model like Last Touch Channel allows us to, within this one tool, connect all of our different um, marketing platforms to our website to understand what are the, the creatives or the ads that are driving um, the, the business objectives that we set out to, to achieve for that campaign at that granular level, which can then allow us to, to in more real time, make adjustments to our spend um, and, and the types of resources we're putting um, through the different tactics and, and channels in, in individual campaigns or the marketing initiatives as well. So it's been touched on just a little bit, but now I want to dive a little bit more deeply into are all platforms treated equally? So could you speak to that a little bit? Each channel, you might have different expectations for it, yet in our experience, we see marketers will say, well, this one didn't work, so let's only use that one. Uh, let's talk about your experiences to start with mm -hmm. Brad. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... Although we, we account for each of the different channels, I do think they're more or less treated equally in, in terms of how we think through ROI. And I think that's, that's a huge opportunity for us to not just account for the different channels, 
that we're communicating through, but account for the purposes of each of those channels. Uh, and a great example from Land Lakes is that through actual ROI analyses, we found that our paid search has by far the highest ROI in terms of dollars compared to the rest of our marketing channels. But we, from the, the business and the marketing perspective, we know that although it has the highest ROI, our paid search efforts are benefiting greatly off the backs of those higher funnel activities such as display ads and, and paid social. So although we understand this, the more we can incorporate these understandings of what the purpose of each of these channels are in that entire customer journey and incorporating those into how we think through ROI, I think that's, that's a huge opportunity for us to imp improve on. Um, so just thinking through how we can, can better do that is, is a big, big thing that we can focus on. Felicia, you smiled at the question. Yeah, it's very different because we don't see them all as the same. They're not weighted equally in our opinion. And one platform doesn't exist without another. And if you're working in single channel silos, that starts to get a little complicated because you, it's better to work within the whole ecosystem. So for example, there's paid social for us, which is really highly targeted at getting people to buy a ticket or do a thing, but then there's organic social media, and those should, also, those should be working in tandem with each other so that you're not cannibalizing the efforts of one or the other. So we don't, I mean, our website value is completely different, and how we you know, value engagement there is totally different than on, it is on Snapchat. And for us, it comes down to demographics and device habits, like we can't equalize those at all. So each of them are very important to us, and we try to mix in a lot of different content onto different platforms and make sure that it, it's different everywhere so that we can get the most value out of what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, we've seen a really inexpensive piece of content to produce outperform a really highly produced piece of content that didn't do so well. So it's all relative, honestly. And for, for me right now, I specifically focus on social, so I think it's very valuable, but I know it's a part of a bigger marketing mix. Kristen, what are your thoughts? Um, yes, all of that, and I would say you have to look at each thing that you're doing and assign the right KPI. I can, I'm sure that Hubbard can attest there's nothing worse than a client who comes in and is like, why am I not getting leads from this display ad? Well, because it's display. And the primary KPI of display is impressions or viewability, right? And so impressions and viewability as a business goal translate into awareness and consideration. They don't translate into direct leads and revenue for your location. You have to identify What's the business goal? Then what's the digital KPI that aligns to that business goal? If you're trying to raise awareness, that's impressions. Pick the channels where KPI for impressions is the primary output of that channel, i.e. display, connected TV, digital audio. Sarah? I agree with what they've all said so far. Um, I would say, yeah, I don't think that all of them are created equally. I think there's a time and a place to make it cohesive and work together. Um, for example, the mall, you know, we're really big on seasonalities. So what we use in the holiday season is not what we use in the spring. So we really look at the time of year, what our goals are based on that, and then implement accordingly. So for example, for summer, a lot, we're doing a big guerrilla marketing tactic right now. So we have our print um, mystery gift cards. We distribute 350,000 throughout the summer months. And our goal is to bring people back to the mall to redeem for a gift. So that for our summer months is a little bit different. Again, that's a mix of traditional. They come in, they get to interact with our, um, they go to a kiosk, a digital platform, 
and then they redeem a prize. So that's a facet, and then to promote that, we have it across all of our digital channels, so social, um, we have um, display campaigns that are running, and then we also do print. So we do a large variety, but then when you look at holiday, holiday is such a different ball game. So we are running from Black Friday throughout um, about December 26th, and we have so many different things happening and experiences happening at the mall, so we have to really look at it from a robust experiential perspective, and again, we're not really selling a ticket, we're selling an experience. So getting people out to the mall, so we do that through like a Spadia and Star Tribune, and then we do that you know, across our TV and radio, and then you integrate that in also with social and then other um, digital platforms. So we look at it from a really robust perspective, and each platform has its own goal and strategy and place in the, in the market. And then the business stakeholder says, how did it go? <laughs> how do you handle it? How do you handle it? What, just because there is data, do you share it all? What do you share? How do you decide what to share? What happens when there's an unrealistic ask of something that they might not understand because they're not as into the digital platforms as you are, and they might say, well, show me something, but that doesn't exist. How do you, how do you share the information, and what do you do when there's an unrealistic ask? Absolutely. So the mall is privately owned. So we have our ownership come in. And a lot of times I'll kind of start from the very beginning. So a lot of times at the end of each calendar year, we set our goals for the following year. So we look at it from a really high level um, perspective. So, you know, for example, are we trying to increase foot traffic by 2%? Are we trying to increase Nickelodeon sales by 5%? What does that look like? And then from there, we enter that next calendar year and go campaign to campaign and really break down and recap how it performs. And we share with them, you know, the high level aspects from an ownership perspective but then we do postmortems as a team perspective, and our marketing team is about 50 people, and that's broken down into a really large variety of facets from like tourism, um, PR, uh, social media is its own team, events. So we have all these different aspects, and we come together and really pull all the initiatives that we worked on and recap it accordingly and look at how we can improve next time um, and really see, you know, should we continue on with something or should we not? And what should our goals be for that next campaign as well? And then we deliver that, those results also to our um, ownership and leadership accordingly. So we give them the information they need and that's important to them, but we keep it pretty granular um, based on a team perspective. But recapping is extremely important. Kristen. Yeah, so the advancement in digital has propelled this idea that for every dollar you put in digital, you're gonna get X number of dollars in return, right? Everything in digital is trackable. And when people, leadership, read those articles that are published by media and content marketing giants, that's what they're expecting. They're expecting, I'm gonna put $5 in digital, I'm gonna get 15 in return. It's gonna be great, the ROI is awesome. And that sounds really nice, but that is not true. It is a lot harder than that. There's a lot of credit um, that is being left on the table that we aren't capturing in our digital space. And there needs to be a re-education of what digital is and the role that it plays in a customer journey, very much like traditional. Uh, a TV ad can reach millions of people, maybe even the right types of people, and surveys will show greater ad recall and affinity for the brand. But nobody is to say that that TV ad was one of the 15 sources, or per your presentation earlier, 180 plus sources that contributed to the overall conversion of that insurance that they were going to buy. This is not as easy and cookie cutter as what the media makes it out to be. Thank you, Felicia. 
I think for us, it's about setting expectations and realistic expectations up front. I'd rather give someone a little bit lower of a number knowing that I'm going to hit that than have a really high number that I'm nervous to hit. So I try to manage expectations on the upfront as much as possible, like Sarah said, and that comes with strategy. So we can take a look at performance from last season. So how many tickets were sold? How many people clicked on a link? How many people like watched a video and say, all right, this is the benchmark for this year. How much do we want to improve and why? And then if we aren't able to hit those numbers for whatever reason, being able to support that with paid media is super important for us. So if, for example, we work with partners all the time. So US Bank is obviously the naming partner of our stadium. So if they're expecting a certain number of impressions on a social media post and we don't get those organically, I can back in and say, all right, it's going to take you about $300 to make sure that we can guarantee and secure the number of impressions or link clicks that you want. So having contingency plans for when things don't go as planned is super important, and that's something that I've been focusing on a lot in the last two years. Your stakeholders have stakeholders. Correct. We have lots of them. Brad? Yeah, I think a, a big piece of this is just understanding the audience that you're communicating with. So thinking through the higher levels of the business, so the executives and the VPs, they're going to want uh, ROI figures and dollars. So they want to know what they're getting out of the marketing investment that the business is putting in. And as Kristen described, that's not always the easiest thing to do. It doesn't always make sense when you're thinking through digital. So it's kind of tricky of how you then actually communicate those, those results in the way they want them. Then thinking through the deeper levels of the business. So a person like myself, I really want insights on a more granular level to get the context of how and the why did we come to those ROI figures that, that are being distributed throughout the business. Um, so again, it's understanding your audience, understanding what they need to, to do their jobs is a big piece. And when you come, or when they come to you with unrealistic asks, I think at Land Lakes, knowing that we're a lot, in many instances just scratching the surface in terms of what we're doing with ROI analysis, trying to use those unrealistic asks to then turn back to ourselves and say, is this something that we have overlooked or is this some, an area that we can further improve on? So using those unrealistic asks to try and drive sort of that ROI roadmap of ensuring that what you deliver matters uh, to the people that you're communicating with. So this may or may not be one of one of your um, most uh, your biggest challenges, but uh, the unrealistic ask. But what are your biggest challenges when it comes to ROI? When you come in and, and say, these are the things we struggle with, um, and think about the you know the, the group here is probably really interested in, in this particular piece because mm -hmm. it's not what we can do, but yeah. it's what we struggle with. What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think Kristen really knocked this one on the head. It's it's how do we speak in terms of dollars, knowing that that's what the rest of the business wants to to hear. Uh, when talking about digital marketing, but then how do we speak in terms of dollars while also incorporating and understanding that the fact that the digital landscape doesn't only account for dollars, there are, there are other pieces of the puzzle that, that we're supporting throughout the entire uh, customer journey that are, are needed to drive those sales. So how do we sort of merge that, that dollar ROI analysis with the more digital um, conversions that, that I've described earlier to really create a, a cohesive story that the, the rest of the business, whether they're in supply chain or they're at the executive level, can understand and run with to understand what the digital marketing team is driving to the business as a whole and what it means and, and the value that, that it provides. How about you, Felicia? When it comes to our communications in general, we're asking fans to do a lot of things. And what I've been trying to scale back on is asking fans to do too many things, either in one instance or, you know, in a week's worth of time. So sometimes we want them to donate money to a cause. Sometimes we want them to buy tickets or sometimes we want them to come visit a, a booth at a game. And my biggest thing is not oversaturating people with too many marketing messages because in doing many things, you unintentionally do 
nothing. Um, so that has been a, a big point of emphasis is just making sure that we're really pointed about what we want people to do and be very clear about that and remind people that you can't always ask people to do three things in an email or in a social post or on a banner ad. It's like marketing self-awareness. Kristen. Yeah, so we're in the middle of a little bit of a brand reposition on Anytime Fitness in particular, which means a lot of upper funnel targeting, right? Not so much direct response, Facebook, Google, um, more upper funnel than what we've ever done before, which means attribution and difficulty in tracking, right? And um, forever, this has been a problem in marketing. There's a famous quote that's like, I'm sure half of my marketing dollars are being wasted, but I actually don't know which half are being wasted. Um, and that's the biggest challenge, at least that exists within my team, is how, when you are trying to move major business metrics that take a lot of time, repositioning, lots of time, many, many months, do you assess where to put that money to have the most influence and get that data really quick? It's not so quick to get those brand awareness and consideration lifts. So um, it's a challenge. Sarah? Yeah, for us, we have such a large, robust marketing mix. So it's really like marrying our digital and our traditional. So really figuring out how we can get them both to work together and then measure accordingly. So is it using you know those vanity URLs? Is it making sure that we have some form of tracking in place to ensure that it is working and therefore we can recap at the end that yes, that out of home board made sense at that location at this time. Um, same thing for our digital. You know, did display ads work for us on you know ticket sales? What worked? What didn't work? And then making sure that we continue to marry those together moving forward. And if something didn't work, drop it and try something else. So just a lot of measurement. To the extent you can, could you, Sarah, start with you, uh, talk about a knock it out of the park ROI success? Yes, so I'll talk holiday. Holiday, like I mentioned previously, is extremely big season for us. And so during that time, we did a really wonderful campaign of um, measuring foot traffic. So we worked with a local partner in town and we pushed across all of our digital facets. So we did a large digital marketing mix that included um, like Spotify, um, all of our social channels, email. It did just a large, robust mix. Um, and so our goals were to increase traffic to our website and then also foot traffic to the mall. So we actually saw 160,000 people come to the mall based on our ads, and that was through geofencing, which was really interesting, and it was really wonderful to be able to take that information back to our ownership and be like, you know what, this amount of money made sense because this is what we saw in return. And then the same went for uh, website traffic. So we actually saw a 20% increase year over year um, from 2018 and 2017. So that was a really big win for us and really showcased the value, of course, as we all know, in digital, and um, something we're probably going to do again this year. Kristen, how about you? Okay, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit for this answer and kind of pop over to organic social. Um, so I hope you can all walk away maybe considering doing this because it's made a huge difference in my team. Some of them are sitting back there. We've recently switched our social measurement um, primary KPI to earned media value. Um, and what earned media value is, is it's basically a number that um, represents how much you would pay to get the same amount of exposure that you're getting organically. And how we calculate it is by taking our organic impressions, organic Facebook impressions, for example, dividing by 1,000 to get at a CPM, and then taking a standard CPM that you would normally see in advertising. CPM stands for cost per 1,000 impressions and multiplying it by that number. You then get a value of your social worth. So Kaylee sitting over there, every single post that we're putting out, she's assigning a dollar amount to that post and saying we received $10 worth of exposure for this post, $15 for this post. And holistically, Anytime Fitness, our social media presence is worth over $6 million. When we go talk to leadership um, or even just our team, 
It changes the way they think and prioritize organic content and content marketing because they're saying, holy cow, if we were to get the same amount of exposure that we get through this presence, we'd have to pay $6 million in Facebook ads. It's a game changer for us, and I hope it helps you guys if you aren't doing it. Thank you. Thanks for changing gears there. So we have many successes both on the organic and paid side, but I think what it comes down to for us is just timeliness and making sure that we capitalize on certain moments when they happen. So from a retail standpoint, two seasons ago, um, a big moment happened in the game where one of our players did a touchdown celebration where he ran, ran around a circle and did like a duck, duck, gray duck game. And so we noticed on social media, just from organic conversation, that people were loving this, not just in Minnesota, but across the country. It sparked an entire debate on whether it was goose, gray duck, like what, what was the thing? And so we decided as a team to develop shirts with a duck, a duck, and a gray duck on it. And within 24 hours, we were able to get a social ad buy up on Facebook and Instagram, driving people to pre-order these shirts, and the money was going to our foundation to help support um, one of the causes that we work on. If that ad had happened two days later, it would not have been as successful. So for us, timeliness was very important, and that's a theme that you'll see throughout a lot of the content that we produce, is it has to be quick, and it has to be quality, otherwise you miss your mark and you miss your opportunity. Thank you. Brad? Yeah, and so our, our Purina Mills business, which sells animal feed, recently launched a 125th year anniversary, and a, a huge ROI win around this campaign was instead of tracking more at the traditional paid social and other display metrics such as impressions and link clicks. What we did was we started again with the goals and objectives around why we're launching this campaign, which we're really trying to drive the, the conversation around the innovation that this Purina brand has been leading in this, in this space for the last 125 years. So again, instead of looking at just our people viewing these ads and, and, and viewing these display links, we changed our focus to more how do we actually gauge the conversations around the, the innovation and the changes of perception that Land Lakes and Purina Mills are actually able to drive. And so then what we did was we identified the actual behaviors and the actual experiences that this campaign was going to be driving on our different web, web properties um, and through our partners as well to then actually track at a much more meaningful level, which then we were able to incorporate into our, our weekly marketing meetings um, to drive optimizations around the, the higher level goals of, of why we set out to have this campaign in the first place. So are you where you want to be when it comes to ROI and attribution modeling? If not, what's on your roadmap? No, I mean, I, like, this is such a complex space, guys, kind of as we alluded to with the, the discussion around the um, the models and attribution modeling. So th there's always going to be ways for us to improve. Um, and I think really on our product roadmap at a higher level where we're trying to take all this is how can we just continue to deliver the insights that our marketers and the rest of our businesses need to not only understand what our digital marketing is doing in terms of value for the business, but then also how can we continue to push the envelope to make optimizations and, and see improvements in everything that we do. Um, and so again, it's just keeping up with all of the changes in in these types of models and ensuring that where we go with it is aligned with the insights that our, our business needs. Felicia, are you where you want to be? I feel good about where we are, but I think all of us have said at one point or another on this panel that we're, you're never going to solve it, and just when you think you figured it out, it's all going to change again. So you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable in this space, and part of that is making sure you hire the right data analyst on your team or working with an agency or working with your data partners to make sure that 
you're maximizing the work that you're doing. Um, because it does change every day. And as marketers, we have so many responsibilities that we have to think about every day. You can't let data and analytics and ROI fall by the wayside. It has to be one of the leading things from a content strategy standpoint. Otherwise, everything you're doing is for nothing. And it's important to have people that are experts in that space make sure that you're taking a hard look at everything. Kristen, how about you? You guys know how I feel. No, I'm not. But um, one of the things outside of like the attribution challenges that I like struggle with, wakes me up at night, is we are so invested in Google and Facebook and Facebook's recent outages. Anybody affected by those? Um, it is so scary to me that we have so much money in those two channels because those are the two channels that drive the most conversions for us. And I just pray that somebody comes along and can help us in direct response to help diversify the risk between those two platforms. Like I was just with Yelp yesterday and I'm like, come on Yelp, like pull it together. You guys are falling behind, um, which is another testament to really looking at the platforms, um, maybe even in the display space that you are partnering with because it's a dogfight for technology and things like store conversions, uh, that's a non-negotiable. You don't work with a partner that can't measure in store conversions now. So make sure you're doing your research on where you're going to place that media to get the most out of the analytics that, that they're going to provide to you. Sarah, what's on your roadmap? Yeah, I'm going to agree with what they've said previously. I'm going to add in, too, just to always continue to challenge your partners. That's something that we've really you know, worked on over the last couple of years, is making sure that our partners are providing us the insights and data that we need. I think over the years, you know, simple impressions and vanity metrics such as that are great, but they're not doing the job. So we need to really be able to deliver information to our leadership and ownership to be able to continue on with certain strategies. So like I said, just continue to really challenge your partners like we do, and hopefully that will really prove the ROI and that you're on the right track. And if you're not, then you can and change strategy and make it successful for you and your organization. Wild card question as we wrap it up in no particular order, just, just uh, you know, give me a hand signal or an eyebrow raise or something that you have something to say. Anything else about your experience with ROI, conversion, attribution modeling that you think would be, that we haven't touched on, that, that's on your mind that you want to make sure that folks take, uh, take away? Who wants to tackle this first? I got you. Go ahead, Kristen. Um, okay, so if you're a smaller business in the room, digital, of course, is where you need to priori prioritize your spend because it's the most efficient. But if you have larger budgets, I'm like maybe the minority here, but I'm like, don't write off traditional because digital paired with traditional can be super powerful and you can place a billboard and report digitally exactly how many people pass that billboard based on their mobile device. Um, so there are some really cool pairings. And although we all love digital in this room, don't write off traditional. I, I've, there are big companies that have gone back to digi or traditional and have a nice mix now. And I think that um, somebody said earlier, it fills the funnel and it helps make your digital more efficient. Well, whoever owns Hubbard Radio probably really appreciates that comment. <laughs> yeah, I, that was not. I do not. They did not pay me to say that. <laughs> Sarah. I can piggyback that because we do just that. We also have, you know, as Mall of America, more robust. Um, price point. So, but really it is integrating all and marrying all parties and making sure that you, they all can work together and there are ways to do it. And, you know, we do work with Hubbard, um, for example, and we really receive those really wonderful recaps that really showcase the value in, you know, those TV spots or those radio spots in addition to all of our digital facets. So um, really just figuring out how to marry both. If you have the budget, if not, then digital is a great space to start. And then really, you know, continue to test and optimize, test and optimize, see what works and then go with what is working. Anyone else? 
Okay, I'll add something. Um, like I mentioned before, don't discount your time as an important resource because all of our time equals dollars. And so if you're spending a considerable amount of, uh, amount of time and hours on something that might not provide you the return that you're looking for, just take a hard look at that because all of, your time is essentially monetizable. You can create an algorithm to say, or a, a formula to say whether or not something is going to be worth your time. Um, we all know what we're getting paid. We all know our hourly rates. You know the rates of your staff. So just be really cognizant of ROE in addition to ROI. Yeah, I, I wrote that down, return on effort, because I think a lot of people think of return on investment. And I think that return on effort, and uh, Kristen, you said something similar, earned media value. So there's a few concepts that, that came up here that uh, I think walking in wouldn't have thought would, would, uh, would come up. Brad, any, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think one last thing I can add is, is make sure you don't fall uh, to, to analysis paralysis. Uh, probably nine times out of ten, you're not going to have all the information you need to be 100% confident implementing a marketing campaign or a marketing plan. So you really need to be comfortable with putting stuff out there, knowing that you're going to get a lot of the insights once it's actually out and your, your audiences are interacting with it and then adapting from there to continuously... Um, as Sarah said, test and iterate to, to continuously improve the communication and, and the marketing materials that you put out. I, I feel really lucky, at the different perspectives that we had here. Let's give them a round of applause. Again, I want to thank Steve Goldstein for being the moderator of this panel today and all of the great panelists who joined us. And shout out to McNamara Alumni Center for letting us throw out this event here. It was a great day. Make sure to subscribe to the Social Feed Podcast with Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player to get a brand new episode delivered right to you every Wednesday. In our episode next week, we met with some business owners from our Hubbard Digital Academy. We met with them at our last one, too, when we recorded another podcast. And we got so much great insight into their businesses and gave them some ideas to move forward. We wanted to do it again. So stay tuned for that episode where we can learn more about business goals and moving forward with that. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.